0: Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Beckione. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to FASD Hope. I have our favorite educator slash clinician slash um, one of our favorite guests on FASD Hope, Dr. Jared Brown. And we are taking a deeper dive into bullying. So today's episode is FASD and bullying part two. And we're just gonna go deeper into some of the topics we explored in that first episode, uh, which aired earlier um, this season. So on that note, Dr. Jared Brown, Jared, my friend, welcome back to FASD
1: Hope. Thank you, Natalie, so much for having me back. Honored to be here. I
0: keep an eye on Jared's downloads, and he is definitely by far a listener favorite. His episodes are just such a resource and such a treasure. And on that note, I've got my pencil and paper prepared to take a lot of notes for this episode because I know a lot of our listeners are interested in going further in this episode, which is FASD and Bullying Part 2. So we determined at the end of last episode that we needed a second episode. Can you remind our listeners again why bullying is just such an important topic when we discuss individuals with FASD and other brain-based diagnoses?
1: Because it's very, very common. So it's rather it's the rule rather than the exception. I'm not saying 100 of people with FASD are going to be bullied and teased, but almost every case I've consulted on when someone's had an FASD diagnosis, there has been some form of bullying or rejection at some point in their history. Bowling in general is common, unfortunately, in the general population. But now if we start talking about people who are diagnosed with a neurodevelopmental disorder, that number goes up. There's not a lot of empirical-based research on FASD and bowling, but there is a lot on autism, quite a bit on ADHD and some on intellectual and developmental disabilities. So definitely taking a look at the the literature pertaining to those disorders would be very helpful because we know most people with FASD have ADHD or look like they have ADHD. There are some people with FASD who also have co-occurring autism. I've consulted on a good handful of cases where both are at play. So it's an important topic. It's a type of trauma. Why do we care about that? Because trauma can impact brain development, body development, learning, memory. And if you already have a vulnerability due to prenatal alcohol exposure and you put another trauma into the equation, a lot of times it can exacerbate executive functioning problems that were already there, self-regulation issues, sleep problems are already very common for people with FASD if you got trauma going on too. It just amplifies it. It's pouring fuel on the fire. If you didn't tune in to the first one, and I encourage you to check it out before listening to this one, obviously, but just know that bowling, it's very multidimensional. There's a lot of different moving parts with it, and there's different forms of bowling. Verbal bowling is going to be typically the most common. Most people probably have been bullied at some point in their lives. But there's physical bullying too. So we've got to look at any history of being actually attacked or hit or kicked or punched. Relational bullying, where maybe they have a friendship group, but that group is only using that person to kind of be like a scapegoat or they use that person to make fun of them or gossip or deliberately ignore them or post things online, which is very sad and very tragic. There's also something called material bowling, where maybe one person or a group of people is deliberately trying to steal or damage that person's property, which can be not good, obviously. And we'll talk a little bit more today about cyber bowling as well. So just being aware of how cyber bowling is a real thing. And unfortunately, in the era of COVID 19 and beyond, it seems like more people are obviously online and being exposed to technology. And I, pretty much every case I consult on now, the person is dealing with technology use issues. I wouldn't call it maybe, not, maybe a full-blown addiction, but in some cases it looks like it. Other cases, they just really are on there a lot and they're being taken advantage of they're having their energy sucked from them. They're not sleeping. It's contributing to family conflict, transit transition issues where the family's trying to get the person off the internet or the screen. And then it leads to blowups in the family and all of those things. Natalie, I'll, I'll stop there for a minute. See if you have any thoughts. No, I'm just
0: really thankful that we're going further into this topic because like you said, bullying really is more of the norm rather than the exception with our loved ones that have an FASD or other brain-based diagnoses. So in our first episode, which again, I, I appreciate if you go back, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's just a great introduction to FASD and bullying episode. So now we're going to take a further dive into bullying. You had mentioned some of the topics we discussed on our first bullying episode. One of the things I want to talk about that we see far too often is the link between being bullied and having suicidal thoughts or attempts. And I know individuals with an FASD and other brain-based diagnoses are especially susceptible to having suicidal thoughts and attempts when um, when they've experienced trauma, particularly bullying. Um Can we talk about why that is so common for victims of bullying and the correlation between FASD, brain-based diagnoses, and suicidal thoughts and ideations that result from being
1: bullied? Yeah, I, I don't know of any literature specifically that talks about how many people with FASD who've been bullied have suicidal thinking, but there is a good handful of studies on FASD and suicidal thinking in general. The, the the things that come up are obviously going to relate to mental health issues. So are there any untreated underlying mental health issues? Depression, anxiety, paranoia, extensive trauma, sleep deprivation has to be taken into account. Low self-esteem and shame. What kind of bullying is it? Is it repetitive types of bullying where that person just feels trapped? and they can't escape it. Is the bowling happening not just in school, but in the home? There's a whole bunch of literature in general and sibling bullying. So is that child in a home, and they're actually being bullied by another relative as well? That could be a factor. I think it's also important to be aware, too, of how bowling can increase self-regulation deficits and anger control problems and low frustration tolerance And it can really throw fuel on the fire for increases in fear. And then is the person using drugs or alcohol to cope with the bullying? Do they have lack of social support? So they're dealing with high levels of loneliness and isolation. Do they lack the cognitive sophistication to let other people know that they're hurting and they need help? Maybe they're dealing with alexithymia and they can't put names to emotions and they just have a really hard time with emotional processing. Do they also deal with attachment disorders? Theory of mind deficits where they struggle with perspective taking. And then sometimes that pushes people further away from them where now they're even more isolated, lonely, depressed. Maybe they're not taking care of their own health and wellness and they're eating terribly and they're putting on tons of weight or they're not eating at all and they just feel like they're an outcast to society and no one understands them and no one tries to reach out to them and depending on their family of origin too are the family very supportive and loving and nurturing or is the family checked out and never there for the person those are just a A few of the variables that I would recommend just maybe considering. Again, in most cases, if someone has suicidal thinking, it's hard to pinpoint it to just one thing. It's usually a multitude of factors going on.
0: Bullying definitely can exacerbate if it's already existing those factors, those suicidal thoughts and ideations. If they're already happening because of secondary characteristics of FAST, then Bullying will definitely exacerbate those thoughts, ideations, even attempts and plans. One of the things you mentioned, Jared, that oftentimes, what kind of bullying is it bullying that this individual feels trapped? And we know that cyberbullying has really kicked that up because it's 247 bullying. Let's go a little further into that. Let's talk about how cyberbullying can really, really just exacerbate those secondary symptoms of FASD because we know that even in the past few years, cyberbullying has really exponentially increased. And it's something that we need to have in the forefront of our minds when we parent those with FASD and brain-based diagnoses.
1: You bet. So cyberbullying, cyber harassment... Maybe it's threatening behaviors, any kind of humiliation that's going on or spreading rumors or posting things online. So it could be, there could be a group dynamic to it where maybe a, a whole group is posting things about someone or sharing pictures or ex- deliberately excluding them, making sure that person knows that maybe there there's a, a gathering coming up and you're the only one not invited. It's using digital to devices to harass or threaten or harm or humiliate. So it could be used as cell phones, computers, tablets, social media, videos, postings, things of that nature. Why is this not a good thing? Obviously, we know any kind of bullying is not good. But with cyberbullying, You've heard of cases I'm sure in the news where someone posted something online and maybe shared a picture outed them or did did something to really humiliate them. Now that is not just out there for the students in that school or wherever to be aware of. It's out there to the whole world. And sometimes these postings, you can't escape them. You can't get them down from the internet. And now it's spread, maybe it's gone viral. Maybe the person has a job and the employer saw the posting. And as a result, maybe that person lost their job or really impacted their credibility. All of these things can be absolutely detrimental to one's mental health and contribute to shame and guilt and isolation. So with cyberbullying, it could be out there and it could absolutely be posted and shared with so many people. And it could reach a global audience, technically. So that those are some things to think about. But a couple things, when I think about what we're talking about today, too, what about covert trauma? Things that aren't as easily detectable, but it's still traumatic for the individual. So it could be maybe they're not saying anything to the individual, but they're using nonverbal cues to show their disgust, or maybe they're not making any eye contact with the person at all, and they're completely shunning them, maybe there's some differential treatment going on where they treat one person in that network wonderfully. The other person knows that they're being treated completely different. So differential treatment, favoring one person or the other. And this can relate to the home environment too. So you want to be careful, like not favoring one sibling over the other abandonment technically would be kind of a covert trauma. i've consulted on some cases where the adult can remember the caregivers just disappearing for days on end and that person was a young kid just in the home terrified didn't know what to do and the home alone there wasn't deliberate like a physical trauma going on but this abandonment there's a good argument to remain could be just as bad meshment. Technically, could be a covert trauma where there's a lot of improper enmeshment or even parent-child role reversal or using invalidation or minimization over and over again. A lot of, I, I do a lot of talks on trauma, and I don't know where I heard this. I didn't coin this at all. I heard this in a training or something I read years ago. But think of invalidation as a little paper cut. And we've all been validated at some point. We probably invalidated someone else unintentionally or intentionally. Being invalidated maybe one or two times here and there, we're probably going to be fine. But what happens if someone is invalidated over and over and over again? Those little paper cuts can have like a cumulative snowball effect for the individual. And invalidation could be maybe the, Child's coming home from school saying, I'm being harassed by other kids. And the caregivers say, Well, it's not that bad. I had it worse when I was a kid. That, in and of itself, can be a trauma amplifier. And for some people, that could contribute to trust issues. It may contribute to confusion. And it could make that child or even teenager or adult feel like they're the ones that are making it a big deal and they're the problem. And then they start internalizing these things. And sometimes all this internalized, maybe anger, anxiety, worry can build up in the body and cause more somatic symptoms. So you might even hear the person say, I have more headaches, stomach pain, my chest hurts, my eyes hurt, my joints hurt. So you get more body pain as well, which can Absolutely, increase inflammation in the body, which then can drive depression. It can drive blood sugar dysregulation and gut health issues. It can throw off our HPA access. We've talked about that a few times in other episodes, and the list goes on.
0: What I'm hearing, Jared, is that when we are addressing our children, our loved ones being bullied, that we really have to take an assessment on. Hour, how we are processing it, how we are validating that that experience and then supporting that experience. Because even if we just offhandedly make the remark of, oh, well, I was bullied too when I was young, that is invalidation and that's adding trauma to the trauma.
1: It could, yes.
0: That's a really good reminder for our listeners to to just reflect and see how you're processing. When your child goes to you or when you learn about them being bullied. So, Jared, we're just going to again dive deeper into bullying. I know that you've consulted on many cases where individuals with FASD and other brain based diagnoses, their mental health has eroded to the point where they're not able to self regulate. They're not able to understand what's happening and possibly turn to retaliation or hurtful situations because of the bullying and how it's traumatized them. Can we talk a little bit just about what causes this this ripple effect from an individual with an FASD or brain-based diagnosis getting bullied and then how it just snowballs into if it's not checked into these these catastrophic events?
1: Well, we don't know with certainty like what are the main causes, because again, there's not a lot of empirical-based literature on FASD and bullying and and what happens after the fact. But if we look at the general literature, and I'll I'll just share some of my observations I've seen and cases I've consulted on, we know people that obviously FASD are going to be dealing with executive functioning impairments, among lots of other things. Bowling victimization in and of itself has been shown to negatively impact the HPA access, the hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal access. Prenatal alcohol exposure impacts that access. Why do I bring that up so often in our podcast is because that is our hormone regulator. It is our, one of our main stress kind of regulators. When that is out of whack, our hormones are off. Sometimes we're not thinking clearly, we don't sleep well, we can be more likely to be irritable dealing with mental health issues. So look at the HPA access dysfunction would be one thing to consider. If we look just at bowling literature and the impact it has on brain development in childhood, and we just take out prenatal alcohol exposure in general, we see higher levels of cognitive and emotional problems more stress hormones in the body so again that's related partially to that hpa access dysfunction it's been shown to throw off our immune system contribute to more sleep problems now you throw fasd into the mix people with fasd deal with issues in all these areas so it's kind of that double-edged sword unfortunately Long-term effects of bullying, and I spoke about this more, more in the, the first segment, but just to remind us that if someone has been bullied repeatedly early on in life, there's a greater likelihood, especially if they haven't had proper supports and services in place, to have more trust issues, more social skill deficits. They even may look like they have post-traumatic stress disorder, where they might be more hypervigilant, more irritable more edgy, just really having a hard time processing sensory information, all of these things could trickle down and contribute to more self-destructive behaviors. So you might see more self-harming behaviors. If it starts eroding their self-esteem, if they're starting to turn to drugs and alcohol, if they're dealing with a lot of somatic complaints, body-based complaints, and they have a reduced ability to be able to articulate again what's going on, they're gonna be dealing with a lot of internal distress. And that could come out sideways in rage control issues in some cases. This could build up over time. What about attachment issues too? We know most people with FASD have underlying attachment issues. I think the research number puts it somewhere in the ballpark of 70% of people with FASD have some problems with attachment. And if we look at the attachment literature, just in general, people that have disordered attachment patterns may have a greater likelihood of engaging in maladaptive kinds of coping strategies. They might have lower frustration tolerance. They might be more likely to start turning to aggressive behaviors and rule-breaking behaviors. Now, if we throw prenatal alcohol into the equation, bowling, other types of trauma on top of ta- attachment, on top of executive function, again, the, m- the more of these things that are going on, it could be a potential recipe for rageful behavior, yelling, screaming, those kind of things. I know, Natalie, we've talked a lot about social skills before, people with FASD, without a doubt, deal with social skill impairment, which falls under the umbrella of adaptive functioning. But social skills, the umbrella term for that is social cognition. And I would highly recommend your audience, too, to understand the topic of social cognition because people at lower levels of social cognition sometimes are going to be more likely to be bullied because people with social cognition deficits might be more likely to have problems in interpersonal and group dynamic-like behaviors. And under that umbrella of social cognition, we also have something called theory of mind, which relates to perspective taking. And there is literature to support the fact that people with lower levels of theory of mind who have a difficult time understanding internal mental states of other people, like their emotions, their beliefs, their intentions, might be more likely to be outcasted by groups of people because they may come off as quirky or odd or they just don't seem to connect the dots or they could be aloof or they even could come off as cold and callous when that's not their intent. But the people around them don't understand what's going on so they start kind of pulling away. It could result in bullying, humiliation, rejection. And again, all of these things can just put fuel on the fire for this individual who might already have underlying neurological impairments where their coping skills are already vulnerable. And one other thing I would say too, if we look at this through kind of a social competence lens, social cognition, think of what is that person's interpersonal competency abilities like as well. That's a big, big umbrella too. And under that umbrella, You would have things like social competence, social-emotional intelligence. Does that person know how to even initiate a conversation or a relationship with another person? Do they understand what constitutes a healthy relationship? Do they get stranger danger? Do they know how to talk to an adult different than a child or a stranger different than a close family member? Part of interpersonal competence also relates to the disclosure of personal information. So if they over-disclose things to someone they just met, that may kind of freak that person out and, and it could scare the person. Part of interpersonal competence also relates to emotional support and conflict management. And when people have issues in these areas, it can oftentimes impact romantic relationships relationships with finding friends. Professional success is directly related to this. So people that have problems in these areas, a lot of times might have problems on the job. It can absolutely exacerbate self-esteem issues. It could place some people at greater vulnerability to other negative life events and adversities, which then could trickle down into more loneliness and increases in mental health problems, to name a few.
0: So three things I'm taking away. I've got my mom brain working here, Jared. Three things I'm taking away from this answer is, first of all, you and I need to do an episode about social cognition, because I think that is something that our listeners would highly benefit from in, in talking about social cognition and FASD. So that's number one. Number two, it sounds like in order to be cognizant of what could happen as a result of bullying. Again, we have to go back to those, peel back those layers of trauma and and go back to the primary trauma, which is the prenatal trauma. So prenatal alcohol exposure, prenatal nutrition deficits, that kind of thing. We have to start there and start building up so we can understand how our loved one's brain is processing all that. And then the, the, the third thing that I'm just thinking of is that, And you and I had this conversation before we started recording how we so desperately need programs for kids, teens, young adults. And and you and I were talking about especially young adults and adults in helping them develop and have a good foundation in, in social skills, life skills, interpersonal skills, things like that. You know, oftentimes when our kids are in Social situations, they either I know from our family's experience, they either tend to do best like in a smaller group setting or even in a one-on-one setting, and you know that is something that um, having a one-on-one kind of mentor or a coach is very helpful. But we also really need to just address the different environments that that our loved one can be in and how they can. Um, how they can process how somebody else is, is feeling or gauge that kind of thing so i'm taking away first of all another episode secondly we really just need to dig deep into all those layers of trauma to understand how that is being processed and then finally um just just the need for programs for resources for uh services that can help our loved ones develop in in this area.
1: Could I mention just a few things that you said that make me think of a couple interventions to try.
0: Absolutely. Please do. Because now now we're going to go into, you know, proactive and being proactive and, and resources. So please share away.
1: Well I think we can't go wrong trying to promote emotional and social intelligence. If you're not familiar with emotional intelligence, that's a big, big umbrella term. So part of that is helping that person increase social awareness, being aware of their surroundings, pragmatic language, starting conversations, ending conversations, healthy friendships versus unhealthy friendships, being assertive, being versus being aggressive, learning how to manage emotions in a healthy way. It's okay to feel mad, sad, angry, but it's not okay to start throwing things or punching things or yelling, screaming, swearing, those kind of things. Part of emotional intelligence is learning about emotionality as well. Emotionality relates to empathy. Emotional expression. Facial features. How to use facial expressions. How to not, not talk too close to someone. Not too far away. Not too fast. How to change your language when you're talking to a stranger versus someone you know well. Part of that self-control as well. So helping that person have a better internal parking brake, a pause button. So stress management, how to have better control over your stressors, learning how to manage your stressors in a very healthy manner. Emotional regulation and impulse control would fall under that umbrella. Having greater levels of emotional intelligence, have also been related to having higher levels of self-esteem, higher levels of optimism, gratitude, and happiness. So very important to understand the topic of emotional intelligence. Part of that too would be social intelligence, which if we do a social cognition talk, we can get a lot deeper into that, but really enhancing social skills social understanding, interpersonal competence. Part of this too, I'm a huge fan of executive function. Finding an executive function coach or a therapist, someone that can teach executive functioning skills. Finding someone too that understands theory of mind and perspective taking and mentalization, as well as alexithymia. I, alexithymia is a huge topic. Alexithymia is a threat to emotional and physical health. Alexithymia is where someone is going to have a very difficult time accurately noticing or understanding or labeling or using emotions effectively. And they can have a difficult time recognizing emotions in themselves or other people. And with part of this too, anything we can do to help promote a better sense of self like a self-concept, self-efficacy, promoting internal locus of control is highly recommended. Helping them also understand peer dynamic relationships because maybe they're in a school environment where no one in that school understands FASD at, at all. Are they in the right school? Could it be getting a new program, a new school? Obviously, easier said than done, depending on where you live and financial considerations as well. And then we know in some cases, awareness deficits and insight deficits are going to be very common. So really understanding the literature on metacognition or metacognition awareness. Part of that too, I think it's important to understand like self-monitoring training These are just good search terms. Any one of these could be a talk in and of themselves. And while we're talking about bowling today, becoming trauma-informed, trauma-informed schools, that's a whole line of research literature, trauma-informed parenting. I just did a trauma-informed parenting podcast recently on a a different podcast program, learning about trauma-informed parenting. I think we can't go wrong. I
0: believe, I believe that was Sandra, my friend Sandra Flack podcast, The Adoption and Foster Care Journey. And yes, I, I know you've been I'm doing some wonderful episodes on on her podcast, as well as our friend Robbie Seal on FASD Family Life. So um, just a little plug for them. I, please listen to Jared's episodes on both Sandra Flack's The Adoption uh, and Foster Care Family Journey, as well as uh, FASD Family Life.
1: Thank you, Natalie. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, just becoming trauma-informed because prenatal alcohol exposure is a type of prenatal trauma. And unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of people with FASD have also had trauma histories on top prenatal alcohol exposure, the research says. So just becoming trauma-informed, attachment-informed. just all, when, when you do that, I think too, just being very sensitive, to that client's life experiences and trying to whenever we can helping that person feel valued and known and heard and respected and never using shame based approaches and just helping them get connected to a very positive support network are are vital I think in helping that person thrive
0: and I am so thankful you're sharing all these resources because we will put these in our social media posts for this week, as well as in our program notes for for this episode. Bullying in FASD is just such a strong topic that we need to be on the forefront of constantly. The source of bullying, those individuals who bully, I know it's really a power thing and our loved ones that have an fasd or other brain-based diagnoses have those deficits that already put them at a power imbalance they they have that so we know that our loved ones are susceptible to bullying because of how their brain works differently what final words of resource or encouragement can you share with our listeners to help so that our loved ones can regain some of that power back or some of that understanding back so that they're better equipped in situations where they may be bullied.
1: Yeah. And just know that you're not alone. This, this is something that happens way too much. So don't think it's directly because of something you're doing wrong. This, this happens on a widespread level. Finding support groups, finding people that understand this, who've gone through this can be very healing and helpful. Journaling may be helpful. Being around animals for some clients may be very helpful. Focusing, I think, too, on emotional clarity. So learning how to name and label emotions, not running away from these things, too. Because if we continue to stuff our emotions, these things can bottle up and up and up and and wreak havoc on our body and our mind. So really becoming more emotionally aware, but seeking emotional clarity. And part of that would be maybe finding someone who understands theory of mind or perspective taking and maybe it's getting a feelings chart or using video modeling Focusing on goal-directed behaviors, too, through an FASD lens, finding a network of skills workers or therapists, counselors, social workers, psychiatrists who understand FASD or who are open to modifying whatever intervention or goal plan or treatment plan they're doing through that FASD lens can be very helpful. And I would just leave it with two other things. Focus on improving executive function, self-regulation, but also focusing on overall health and wellness. So maybe it's working with a nutritionist, a sleep doctor, an exercise specialist, anything we can do to infuse healthy living principles into the lives of these children, as well as into the lives of the entire family, that can also help buffer the effects of stress, trauma, adversity, hardship, and hopefully lift up our resilience so we are in a much better place to bounce back and be more adaptable and flexible.
0: Amazing. And I've written everything down so that our listeners can view these wonderful insights in our social media posts. Jared, also, before we end, I want to share with everybody that not only will we have Jared's contact information, but as well as his nonprofit and the AIAFS is offering wonderful courses and resources for uh, anyone who is looking for more information on many of the topics that Jared has spoken about here on FASD Hope as well as our other friends podcasts. So you can reach Jared through the links that we'll be posting in today's episode notes, as well as in our social media posts. Jared, I know you'll be back. It's always, always insightful, resourceful, and it's such a blessing to have you come and share your insight and your wisdom with our listeners. You know, we end on hope and this is a very serious topic. And this is unfortunately one that is systemic and it's not going away. So we need to to do the work. What final words of hope can you leave for our listeners about how to be an overcomer when it comes to the topic of bullying?
1: There's more awareness of this. There's more books written on this. There are for professionals who understand this topic. I'm out there doing more talks on this all the time, trying to put together trainings and workshops. And my colleague and I are actually talking right now of actually probably writing an article for publication at some point on this very topic that really pulls together all of this research from the other disciplines And how it can apply to an FASD community. So we're going to hopefully put something together and then get that out there to the world at some point. But I assure you, there are people out there that care and want this better and just continue to dig deeper into all of these topics. And part of it is becoming trauma informed, I think, is a big part.
0: Absolutely. And I know you share that a lot in your Hope Takeaways and other episodes. When you get that article out there, please let me know. We will talk about that and we will follow up. That is something I definitely want to read and to share. So as always, Dr. Jared Brown, thank you so much for being on FAST Hope.
1: You're welcome, my friend. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com, or please leave us a five-star rating and review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week, and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.